Okay, uh, good morning, uh, everybody. Uh, uh, this is the final week of this trimester. Um, that's definitely very quick. <clears throat> well, this week, uh, we are going to talk about the last topic. Uh, we come home to Australia and to look at how Australia uh, is navigating between great power politics, especially between the US and China. Now, uh, before we do that, uh, can you see the movement of the slides? Uh, yes, Cheng. Great. Uh, firstly, um, the first assignments uh, have been marked and uh, you should have uh, been able to see the results and the comments uh, many thanks to, to Simon uh, for marking a lot of the assignments uh, within a very tight time frame. And if you have any um, uh, questions about the uh, comments, uh, you are welcome to, to discuss uh, with me or with Simon um, to get more feedback. Um, another reminder is the second assignment uh, will be due on this Friday. So. Uh, less than one week to go. Um, all the best wish uh, for the last assessment of this unit. Okay, uh, if you have any questions, uh, we can discuss after this lecture, or you can discuss with your tutor, Simon, uh, tomorrow, or email me. Okay, um, now uh, here is a quick overview of this week's um, content. Firstly, we, when we talk about Australia's place in great power relations, um, it's important to understand its history and where Australia came from uh, in terms of identity, if you like. And then we move on to talk about the, one of the key themes of Australia's foreign policy which is uh, great power, a great and powerful friend diplomacy. Um, then we look at Australia's ambivalence towards Asia, um, towards its place, its geographic place, and particularly towards China. Very often um, our neighborhood, uh, the region is seen as both an opportunity and a threat. Uh, these two themes, uh, they fluctuate um, sometimes, yes. Um, one uh, overwhelms the other. So that uh, has often led Australia to call for creative middle power diplomacy, uh, whatever that means, uh, we can talk about that. Then increasingly in the uh, last decade or so, the so-called China question looms large. And so how should we deal with China? So that's the biggest uh, strategic question facing Australia. And then uh, as we are witnessing uh, right now, literally right now, uh, there seems to be a back to the future moment. Uh, the AUKUS alliance 
the return to the Anglosphere, if you like. And we then briefly discuss uh, what all this means for Australia into the future. So I mentioned Australia as an anxious nation. Uh, actually, this uh, term uh, is borrowed from Professor David Walker, uh, who was a professor at Deakin University uh, in history. Uh, he, now retired, uh, his famous book, Anxious Nation, Australia and the Rise of Asia, uh, discussed the Australia's um, ambivalent, uh, very often fearful uh, connections with Asia. So what does this mean uh, is that Australia feels profoundly unease in where um, it found itself. It um, basically this profound um, mismatch, if you like, or perceived mismatch between who we are and where we are. So on the one hand, we thought that we were from Europe, uh, we were white, and um, yeah, but on the other hand, we are located in the East, on the edge of Asia. So history versus geography. This is basically a fundamental tension between uh, at the heart of our identity. Uh, for example, um, in 2003, the uh, DFAT white paper uh, had this uh, two lines of uh, statement uh, about Australia's identity, if you like. So it says Australia's interests are global in scope and not solely defined by geography. Australia is a Western country located in the Asia Pacific region. So as you can see, on the one hand, it's a Western country, on the other, and it is located in the Asia Pacific region. So that's um, basically set out this um, ongoing underlying um, dilemma and the tension between history and the geography. And this, some uh, even say, raises this kind of issue of ontological security or insecurity. Ontological security is uh, not particularly about uh, physical security. For example, the invasion of uh, a foreign enemy uh, into our territory, that, that's about physical um, security. Ontological security is fundamentally about the sense of who we are, uh, our identity security, our sense of continuity. So that's yeah, that, that's a term uh, used by psychologists to describe people's identity crisis, uh, individuals. But uh, as a country, uh, our scholars believe that uh, can also experience this kind of ontological insecurity. Okay. Now, 
apart from being an anxious nation, uh, scholars and uh, diplomats uh, have also written about Australia as uh, the threatened country. Um, the, it's long uh, standing fear of abandonment uh, because Australia feels that it's, it's like an orphan in the East. Uh, it's an odd, uh, outpost of the West. Um, so this kind of a geographical con uh, conditions um, basically define Australia's anxiety. So you may ask why uh, there has been such uh, a sense of anxiety. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the two dimensions of identity uh, seems to misalign with each other. Uh, history, uh, we see ourselves as European, white. So that's, that has been this kind of a dominant uh, definition or understanding of Australia's self-identity. And on the other hand, uh, geography, Asia, uh, that's yellow, uh, that's the other, that's the threat. So in the early 1910s or 1900s, um, William Lane wrote about this famous book called White or Yellow, The Race War of 1908. Um, so he, at that time, he was basically sounding the drums of war, or the race war between uh, the white and the yellow peoples. So Asia from the right beginning was seen as the other of the Australian South. Um, at one time it was symbolized by Japan, uh, when Japan, Japan rose to uh, a great power status in the early 20th century, just like China today. So, but um, Japan was uh, obviously seen as a, a yellow race, uh, but a, a formidable lower race, uh, best kept at a distance. So, according to the um, the magazine, the Bulletin, um, well, at that time it was a very popular publication in Australia, and then the was always uh, the China question because China was so big and it was considered the most oriental country in Asia. So the other of the other. So the, this is the ultimate other or threat. And at Federation, Australians were not sure about who they are, who they were, uh, but they were very clear about who they were not. Who they were not uh, was basically China. So China, the Chinaman uh, image uh, was the stuck, uh, the stuck example of what Australians was not. So that, that was the prevailing feeling about the sense of identity at that time. Um, as you can see uh, uh, this, from this cartoon um, at the Federation, uh, the Chinese, uh, on the forehead, uh, the Chinese pest, so should be kept out. And basically, 
from the very beginning of federation or even uh, reached back earlier, this kind of anxiety and insecurity, um, this kind of unease uh, with uh, where we were uh, helped define Australia's foreign policy and the immigration policy. Uh, we all know the White Australia policy um, was the first legislation uh, after the Federation. Um, so on the one hand, you were fearful of Asia, of the yellow race. Uh, obviously, when Australia looked around, uh, it found comfort and consolation in the Anglo-Saxon um, friends, um, so the great and powerful friends um, slogan uh, began to appear in this kind of a context. Um, this uh, was on top of this kind of a fear of Australia's indefensibility. So Australia believes that it was small uh, in terms of population, uh, especially in comparison to to the Asian population, um, but we also have this vast continent. Uh, so it was um, sparsely populated. It, uh, yeah, it was difficult to match the uh, force and the size of Asia. So that's why uh, there has been this kind of a strong uh, urge to seek great and powerful friends. Uh, we know where those friends were. Um, so the great and powerful French diplomacy, yeah, this term was uh, coined by Robert Menzies. We all know, yeah, with great and powerful friends, uh, may, came, uh, may come this kind of a great sense of security, of course, but also they came with uh, costs. Um, which means basically constantly fighting other people's wars. As our ways of paying insurance uh, premium. Um, so those wars we, uh, we are all familiar with. Um, the Boer War in, at the turn of the uh, 20th century uh, in South Africa, World War I, uh, the Diggers, uh, the Anzac, uh, was sent to to Turkey, uh, the, the landing of Gallipoli, uh, as you all know, that was our uh, involvement in this kind of a great power politics. And World War II, of course, um, we were also part of the, the great power struggle, uh, especially after Japanese bombing of Darwin in 1941. And also we realized that uh, the British great and powerful friend uh, could not help us. They were defeated uh, in Singapore. Uh, in, so they had to focus on uh, the home front uh, in Europe. So Australia was left vulnerable. Now again, Australia looked around. Now they saw the United States. So the Prime Minister John Curtin uh, famously declared, uh, he wrote this article, the task ahead in the Herald. Um, 
in this article, he said, without any inhibitions of any kind, I make it quite clear that Australia looks to America, um, free of any plans as to our traditional links and the kinship with the United Kingdom. So this is the uh, first switch of great and powerful friends uh, without any problem, basically, uh, because they were both um, part of the Anglosphere. So 10 years later, finally, this great and powerful friends arrangement uh, was finalized uh, through treaty, through this Anzac Treaty uh, in uh, September 1951, so 20 years ago, uh, sorry, 70 years ago. So with this kind of a great and a powerful friends on our side, uh, we are also, we have been um, taking up the tasks basically assigned uh, by the great and powerful friends to us through uh, this uh, projection of power into Asia uh, forward defense, uh, so so-called forward defense, to push uh, our defense line as far away from us as possible, so to make us secure and to fight other people's wars. Again, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and more recently, uh, the war on terror in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, into the 1970s, we began to see the rise of Asia, um, the Asian economies, especially the fall little dragons, um, or little tigers, uh, whatever you call them. The, the, the economy of Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, um, and then Thailand, Malaysia, uh, the tigers, if you like, they were yeah, booming. And also that was in the wake of the Vietnam debacle. Um, Australia and the United States uh, had to withdraw from Vietnam, um, similar to to the Afghanistan withdrawal. And the declaration of the Nixon Doctrine. So, so in 1969, uh, Richard Nixon, the US president, uh, we mentioned a lot uh, throughout this trimester, he basically declared that uh, the United States would no longer committed to sending ground troops to other places um, in Asia, for example, to, def to defend allies. Um, so basically, allies would be on your own. Um, yeah, in, in response to the um, disastrous uh, intervention in Vietnam. So that was a shock. Uh, so it, it's often called the Nixon shock that prompted Australia to develop a more independent foreign policy and to seek um, security in Asia rather than from Asia, as Paul Keating famously said. So you have to, basically you have to face up the reality um, because you are part of Asia and uh, you are not going anywhere and you have to deal with Asia. You have to find a security in Asia. And uh, when you 
change your lens, you begin to see things differently. Uh, you begin to see opportunities in Asia, uh, as I just mentioned. Uh, you begin to see these kind of economic opportunities. So uh, the government commissioned uh, the economist Ross Gano uh, to write a report on Asia, uh, especially Northeast Asia. Um, so his report basically laid out Australia's um, future policy towards this region uh, in a tone of largely uh, engagement. So Asia began to be seen more of, uh, of as an opportunity. Then we had the, uh, the setup of uh, APEC, uh, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum, uh, in which Australia uh, played a leading role uh, in its funding. And also, let's not forget, um, in the same time, the US-China relationship uh, had a thought, uh, they had this rapprochement uh, between these two uh, formal enemies. And so just as when uh, in the 1930s, uh, we were so closely bound up to the United, uh, to, to the United Kingdom, when the UK declared a war against Germany, um, as Robert Menzies said, uh, as a result, Australia is also at war uh, against Germany. And this time, uh, because the United States um, began to be uh, befriend China, so as a result, Australia uh, was also uh, engaging with China. So that's um, that's basically this kind of uh, the great power diplomacy, uh, great and powerful friends diplomacy uh, meant for Australia. So our foreign policy um, was nominally independent, but at the same time, it was independent within this uh, alliance framework. So now enter the rise of China and the so uh, continuing from this uh, perception of Asia as an um, opportunity, we also saw China as uh, largely as an opportunity. Um, and that's, that opportunity uh, has basically paid off uh, in many ways. As you can see, the China uh, has been Australia's largest uh, trading partner, Australia's uh, biggest export market, uh, its biggest import source country, and trade surplus country, uh, agriculture export destination, uh, service export des destination, the big, uh, one of the, probably yeah, not the biggest uh, foreign direct investment source anymore, but um, and it was one of the largest. The so yeah, before COVID nineteen, um, there, there were two hundred forty thousand uh, Chinese students studying in Australia, and about one third of our uh, 
export revenue uh, comes from China. And if you look at the exports of iron ore or coal, uh, China makes up uh, more than half of Australia's export market. So, so this uh, basically is the context of Australia's engagement with China uh, by joining the China-led Asia Asian Infrastructure and Investment Bank, uh, the AIB, and also, yeah, these two countries signed the free trade agreement uh, not a long, long time ago. And Australia also has been credited as, uh, for uh, saving Australia from the global financial crisis uh, because all the uh, other Western countries were in recession because of Australia's trade supplies with China. So Australia was uh, able to weather the storm. Uh, although there's talk about whether Australia could uh, continue to rely on China this time. But um, in 2008, uh, the global financial crisis was certainly, uh, China was certainly part of Australia's um, reason not to fall into recession. Um, so in this kind of a context, um, we know Hugh White has, has been uh, constantly talking about the power shift uh, from the United States to China and the need for Australia to consider this question of China choice. Uh, because his argument, as we are all familiar with, uh, is that China is not going to forever um, satisfied with being a junior partner uh, in the Asia Pacific region of the United States. Uh, it would want to seek its own uh, dominance in the region and the United States would be in decline. Uh, and in this kind of a context, unless both sides want to fight a war to decide who is the winner, uh, it's best to basically have a concert of Asia arrangement. So yeah, those kind of countries, uh, the big powers uh, share power. And in this um, setting, Australia should encourage the United States to, yeah, to share power with China and to make this kind of China choice. And this has alarmed some people in Australia and uh, the politicians mostly do not like uh, uh, Hugh White. And they see that this kind of China choice question is this false dichotomy question. Um, for example, John Howard uh, had repeatedly said, uh, we do not have to choose between our history and our geography. So we can have both. Uh, we can enjoy the best of both worlds. And so even by the time of uh, 2012, uh, as uh, reported, uh, by the age, John Howard sees nothing but opportunity in the emerging world order. So all seems to be fine. And Tony Abbott also believes that we do not have to uh, lose old friends in order to make new friends. So his reference uh, is to this, um, again, this so-called China choice. Uh, we 
don't have to um, make this kind of hard choice. We can have both uh, as our friends. So, but this does not um, stop people from asking this China choice question. Uh, some of you may have seen this, um, the bachelor, the popular bachelor program. Uh, have you seen that? I'll show you. The US, China, Australia edition. Ladies, it's been a big week. You've taken us back to your hometowns and you've had a glimpse at what your future would be like with Australia. Sorry. Two countries left. One single rose. Australia's. Got a very tough decision to make indeed. China or America? Australia, when you came on this show, what is it you were looking for in a global partner? Just someone who's going to look after me, you know? Economically and strategically. And that's hard to find in one country. Well, it's time. Australia, who's going to get your rose? Well, at this point, I'm thinking just don't make me too. You know, America and I have been dating since the 40s. She's always had my back. Sure, she dragged me into two unilateral global conflicts, but end of the day, we're just both deeply committed to the relationship. Australia who? Oh, uh, Strategic Global Military Asset 447. Yeah, we're close. We couldn't be closer. He's a great guy. Then, on the other hand, China. You know, she's from my region. She's my number one trading partner. I mean, sure, during our homestay in Hong Kong, I saw a few red flags. And she's got a couple of human rights issues that make me uncomfortable. But I'm happy turning a blind eye to that if it keeps my economy strong. I mean, my universities won't fill themselves. I'm nervous. I could be going home tonight. I put up too many trade barriers. I'm not sure I've done enough. I don't know why he's taking so long. Australia, I'm sorry to say this, but you're going to have to make your choice. Can't do it. Come on, mate, you're not the honey badger. You're going to have to choose someone. Can I cut the rose in two? No, it's one single rose. What about a timeshare arrangement, like America Monday to Thursday and China on weekend? No. Could we just all share a bed? Maybe build a great wall down the middle? No. You always get back with the UK. No, she's pretty messed up right now. Can I give the rose to you? No, I can't help you strategically or financially. You're going to have to choose one of the two countries in front of you. I'd better get this rose. I've already banned his recyclables. Don't make me ban his democracy. If he doesn't pick me, who's going to save his ass in the next world war? New Zealand? <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry, Australia. But it's time to choose. 
And remember, this decision will influence the future of your economy, your culture, your children, and the geopolitical rules of the region for generations to come. Okay. Can you hold this for me? Absolutely. Trade war? Trade war! Okay, I don't know what you think about that um, comedy, um, but it's all too real, I think, in, in many ways, um, we'll see. Uh, so that was then, basically, uh, that was effectively in the past. In the last few years, the China threat has seemed to become yeah, increasingly um, prominent and uh, in the media, we are basically told uh, of the China threat uh, on a daily basis. So there has been this kind of increasing concern about rising Chinese influence in Australia, uh, not despite of Austra Australia's benefit from China trade, but perhaps because of it, uh, we began to worry, uh, to be anxious, uh, about our over-dependence on China and um, the Chinese students as potential spies. Um, they are uh, carrying out uh, the CCP's uh, directions uh, in, uh, in Australia. And the, yeah, the Chinese academics might be this kind of uh, um, conducting uh, espionage, uh, stealing our intellectual property, and the so Huawei might be spying on Australians' telecommunication networks and the Chinese investments are uh, uh, basically buying up Australia, taking over Australia, or driving up the house prices, and so this has all. Uh, basically come together as this China threat narrative. So Australia began to ban Huawei from participating in our national broadband network, uh, from building 5G in Australia. And we began to yeah, restrict Chinese investment. So any uh, Chinese uh, investment would be uh, subject to the foreign review board. Uh, examination and Australia passed a series of bills to um, look at the foreign interference, uh, the foreign relations bill, uh, as you remember uh, earlier this year, uh, we canceled the BI arrangement or memory, the memorandum of understanding between uh, Victoria and China. So we began to stand up to, to China on a whole range of issues. Uh, the South China Sea, uh, the COVID uh, inquiry, uh, the protest in Hong Kong, the alleged uh, genocide in, in Xinjiang, and more recently, uh, the feared uh, war over Taiwan. So in, in the Australian parliament, there has been this uh, interesting section of the Wolverines um, made up of uh, 
basically the liberal uh, backbenchers and some uh, Labour Party uh, members, uh, politicians, to, to stand up to China um, as part of this international inter-parliament alliance on China. And, and Tim Wilson uh, is uh, part of this uh, alliance and uh, the Wolverine um, Club. And now this cartoon uh, illustrates also Austria's uh, ambivalent attitude toward China. Um, Angela Merkel asked uh, Tony Abbott during the G20 summit in Brisbane, what drives Australia's policies towards China. And Tony Abbott uh, basically yeah, could not resist eventually said uh, fear and greed. So on the one hand, we, we fear China's rise uh, as a threat, but also we are uh, greedy because of these um, opportunities uh, to trade with China. And this kind of a fear uh, may seem to be uh, well-funded uh, because the regional order seems to be changing. Uh, the world uh, is no longer purely revolving around uh, the West uh, or Washington, D.C. China increasingly is calling the shot in the region through the uh, BRI, through uh, its, uh, the AIB, and, uh, and other the BRICS, uh, the New Development Bank, and uh, the, the China dominant, uh, the regional economic um, uh, comprehensive partnership, uh, trade agreements. So where does this leave uh, the United States or indeed Australia? So we also, in the same time, we see this evolve, evolution of the US alliance network in this region from the previous, uh, the hub and spokes uh, shaped network to this um, more like this, uh, this kind of a spaghetti uh, shaped network. Uh, previously, the United States would be fearful of uh, those alliance partners to connect to each other because they fear that uh, when they uh, began to form groups, uh, the United States might be no longer needed. But in order to counter China, they have to um, look to build more networks, more partnerships, and more alliances to better connect together in order to um, counterbalance China, as they would say. Now, I give you this quote. Uh, this quote came from yeah, this book. Um, by Charles Pearson, uh, National Life and Character of Forecasts. It was a book uh, written in the uh, 19th century, uh, but in 1901, Australia's first prime minister, Edmund Barton, uh, he rose to the first parliament uh, sitting in Melbourne, holding a book holding a copy of this book and read this quote. The day will come, and perhaps it's not uh, far distant, 
far distant. When European observer will look around to see the globe circled with a continuous zone of the black and yellow races, no longer too weak for aggression or under tutelage, but independent or practically so uh, in government, uh, monopolizing the trade of their own regions and circumscribing the industry of the Europeans. When Chinamen and the natives of Hindustan, the states of Central and South America are represented by fleets in the European seas, invited to international conferences and are welcomed as allies in quarrels of civilized world. The citizens of these countries will then be taken up into the social relationship of the white races, will throng the English turf or the salons of Paris and will be admitted to intermarriage. It is idle to say that if all this should come to pass, our pride of place will not be humiliated. We shall wake to find ourselves able and hustled and perhaps even thrust aside by peoples whom we look down upon as servile and thought of as bound always to minister to our needs. The solitary consolation will be that the changes have been inevitable. So this was made in, yeah, in the uh, late 19th century. Uh, but if you look at today, uh, what he had forecasted, perhaps uh, without this kind of a racist uh, undertone or overtone, um, it seems Pearson's nightmare has now been realized. So the, the anxious nation's anxiety is getting uh, aggravated uh, by the rise of China in particular. So the yellow race is no longer um, just uh, in our service, but uh, they are began to, to trade widely and to dominate uh, the international sphere. So that's basically this kind of feeling uh, you could uh, argue whether it is still the case, whether the fear is still relevant today, uh, even though it's not explicitly expressed in this way. And by the way, um, Charles Pearson uh, was the mentor of uh, the future Prime Minister Alfred Deacon. Um, yeah, after whom uh, Deacon University was named. Um, so that's a bit of history, but this probably could help us, help us to understand today's foreign policy decisions, such as this AUKUS uh, alliance, the return to the, um, what Paul Keating said, the, uh, the faded and jaded uh, Anglosphere, um, that yeah, could explain this um, newfound anxiety. Uh, but um, we'll touch um, that in a moment. Um, but at the same time, uh, initially Australia was trying to use the so-called creative middle power diplomacy to try to show up its sense of security. Um, through many ways, um, the creative middle power diplomacy includes uh, the, the three pillars normally, uh, the US alliance, obviously, uh, through ANSYS Treaty, and the engagement with Asia, that's another pillar, 
uh, including with engagement with China. And the third pillar is um, to uphold international institutions such as the UN. Um, but another way of managing or coping this anxiety is through imaginative geography. What do I mean by this? Uh, you see, Australia's region's name has been constantly evolving uh, from Asia, from the Pacific, to the Asia Pacific, and finally now to the Indo Pacific. So, what is magical about the Indo Pacific is that it, by the name, by the very name, it draws the US in. The US is very often considered uh, a Pacific power, uh, but it leaves China out. And, and it draws India in. So, to rebalance the geopolitical map, if you like. So by dropping Asia or Asia Pacific in favor of the Indo-Pacific, we created this kind of artificial sense of the rebalance of power where um, the Indo-Pacific like-minded democracies, uh, India, Japan, Australia, the United States are calling the shot again. So, and also with this kind of uh, master stroke, uh, Australia's long-standing historical and geostrategic identity could actually converge. How, uh, you may ask, uh, they converge on the values. Uh, so that's why you have been hearing a lot of, about uh, values. Uh, in 2003, as I mentioned, the Australian uh, DFAT web paper talked about Australia as a Western country, but in the latest uh, in the 2017 foreign policy white paper, uh, you could not find that kind of a statement. Uh, it's Western country uh, is no longer mentioned. Instead, uh, that white paper, the first chapter is about Australian values. So we basically shift away from this kind of a cultural or even racial emphasis on our identity to this kind of a more value-based um, construction of identity. So we are liberal democracies. Uh, we are multicultural um, countries. Uh, we are free and open. Uh, we are respecting democracy, human rights, rule of law, etc. And so, so the historical identity is um, slightly changed. And also the geographic identity has been reimagined. Uh, as you, as you may aware, uh, Deakin has recently been reimagined uh, through these uh, major workplace changes uh, to cut stuff. Uh, the reimagined uh, geopolitical space is the Indo-Pacific, so it's become larger, uh, if you like, uh, to include those democracies. So basically, this the geography and history can overlap more comfortably. So this is how we define our sense of identity. But by definition, when we talk about uh, democracy, freedom, then we imply that their threats to democracy, their coercion, uh, their aggression uh, coming from China. So this is this 
kind of um, way of managing uh, the China threat. And another benefit is that Australia could be seen as part of, uh, at the center of action, because Australia is in the middle of the Indo-Pacific rather than on the uh, periphery of the Asia-Pacific. So that's another advantage of this new uh, term, which uh, was firstly, uh, first extensively used in the Defense White Paper 2013. Okay, um, now we begin to be very much part of the United States, the global strategy to uh, contain China, if you like. Um, 2011, Obama declared the pivot to Asia in Australian parliament. So he mentioned that uh, in the Asia Pacific, in the 21st century, the United States of America is all in. Uh, the United States is a Pacific power and we are here to stay. So send a strong message to China. And Australia also is to host two and a half thousand uh, US Marines rotating through uh, Darwin. Um, and we also are expected to increase our um, uh, ability to host US military assets. Um, and so this all went well uh, until Trump came to power and Trump's unpredictability and his America first policy rattled the Australian political establishment uh, to some extent. Uh, as you know, the, um, the very uh, tense phone conversation between Trump and uh, Mark Turnbull at the start of the Trump uh, presidency really um, unsettled uh, and intensified Australia's sense of anxiety. We were fearful that the US would no longer be reliable. So in this kind of a context, Australia began to build up its military uh, in the middle of the pandemic, for example, last year, Scott Morrison declared that Australia would spend 270 billion Australian dollars in 10 years to prepare for the poorer, more dangerous world uh, defined by China. And then the quote, um, this is something that we are all familiar with. Um, the Quad initially had a shaky start. Um, it was basically abandoned after Kevin Rudd withdrew from the Quad uh, in 2008, uh, not to upset Beijing basically. But as China rise continued, um, there was increasing call for reviving the Quad. So slowly but surely, the Quad started off as um, at the uh, bureaucratic level, then at the minister level, now finally at the leaders level. So just over the weekend, we saw the, uh, the first face-to-face -face in-person court leaders meeting in Washington. So this is the power walk by these four democracies to send a message to China. Um, now also, um, not along yeah, the last 10 days, um, Australia had this um, big announcement. The 
Australia, UK, US Alliance, or the AUKUS. So as you can see, the great and powerful friends and that fella down under came together again. So the Australian who question um, is, uh, is, is not an exaggeration uh, when, when America sometimes could not even remember the name of Australia. Um, but never mind, uh, we are the same kind of race or same kind of culture, if you like. So we are now firmly back into this anglosphere, the comfort zone, uh, indeed the inner circle of the anglosphere, um, just the three of us. And we've got submarines, um, nuclear powered, and we are promised more US troops on Australian soil. So all this, according to Scott Morrison, is to keep Australia uh, safe and secure. So, you would think that the yeah the Australian uh, China choice the roses has finally been um, given to the United States. Now um, this one. This, uh, I'm for coming in at such short notice. I thought the best way to proceed was to get everyone in the one room. Good thinking. Okay, you're all right. I'll come straight to the point. This white paper is recommending we spend close to four hundred billion dollars over the forward estimates. Now, at some point, the PM is going to be asked a very simple question. In order to protect us from which enemy? Hmm. It's so hard to say. 400 billion, pick one. A regional player. Specifically, Colonel. An Indo-Pacific regional player. More specifically? Indo-Asia-Pacific. That's broader. Who are you leaving out? Europe? Yeah, I sort of need a country. Or an unaligned player. No, a country. One that might threaten us. Just one. Yeah. I wouldn't want to raise tensions. Where? In this room. You know what? I'll name one and you just nod. China. Yeah. Okay. And what exactly are we protecting? Strategic interests. Specifically, Colonel. Indo-Pacific strategic Again, interests. Really specifically. Indo-Asia-Pacific yeah. strategic You know what? I'll say it and then you nod. Our trade routes. Yeah. And who is our number one trading partner? Shall we use an odd system? Sure. China? Yeah. So under this scenario, we're spending close to $30 billion a year to protect our trade with China from China. And that doesn't strike anyone at this table as odd? Okay. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the ABC comedy is uh, really helpful uh, for this week. Uh, so, have we been uh, protected now with this uh, uh, AUKUS arrangement? So that's the end of the story. Uh, we, we are safe and secure now. But of course, there, there are more questions, uh, perhaps. Uh, how will China uh, respond to this new alliance? And then how the region will respond? And indeed, how does France react? So obviously we all know uh, France is not very happy. Um, and have you seen this text message uh, allegedly from Scott Morrison to Macron? Uh, many mates tried to call 
you bad news about the sub steel, we decided to go with US nuclear ones. Blame China. Sorry for any inconvenience. No hard feelings. Catch up in New York. Um, I'm not sure this is a serious one, uh, but uh, this comes from Twitter, so uh, must be true. Um, what then another big question is, uh, what will the United States ask Australia to do? So what have we signed up to in the um, looming conflict uh, with China uh, in coming years? So um, also another big question is whether there is any challenge um, beyond great power rivalry. Um, the, our planetary survival uh, and indeed Australia's um, survival in the uh, context of climate change, uh, the drought, the bushfires, the flood, etc. So can we be uh, secure and safe by countering China alone? And can we safe and secure by returning to the Anglosphere. So these are the, some of the interesting questions to ask. Okay, um, we are now out of time. So let's uh, finish by saying um, thank you very much for, for this trimester. It has been a really uh, great pleasure to, um, to spend the time with you and to uh, read your assignments and your comments on on the uh, discussion board. So thank you very much for your contribution and uh, I hope you uh, enjoy the, this unit and please uh, provide your feedback through the evaluate survey and um, to tell us what, uh, what needs to be improved and uh, what, what's, what's good, um, what you enjoy. Okay, and all the best wish for your uh, future studies and endeavor. Okay, thank you. Um, thank thank you so much. Uh, is it okay if I ask a question now or not? Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me stop this uh, recording. This is... Uh...